Welcome to this edition of Free Speak, a podcast of the Namibia Media Trust, and I'm Gwen Lister. The practice of journalism is always a challenging task, and much more so than usual in the time of coronavirus. States of emergency and national lockdowns, accompanied by rights restrictions and economic hardships, are further compounding what is a very stressful time for all, not least of all, the fourth estate. But I think the media has done a fantastic job of keeping uh, society informed, especially at a time when people are stuck at home. Are media getting it right in terms of covering this pandemic? And what are we doing about the tsunami of lies and disinformation that proliferates at this time, especially online? And we need everyone to get reliable information so they can take good decisions. Because if we have informed communities on this situation, we will have healthy communities. With me to discuss these and related issues in this edition of our Free Speak podcast are Mahlatse Mahlaze, Chair of the South African National Editors Forum and Group Editor-in-Chief of Eyewitness News, and Peter Desselaars, the country representative of Deutsche Welle Namibia office and a journalist himself. Peter and Mahlatse, thanks so much for joining. Um, I think firstly, let us perhaps look at how media is doing overall in getting the message or the stories across in this time of coronavirus. Is there too much coverage or is there too little? Is it proper coverage? Is it not? And also the question of, are we maintaining balance? Because as Peter's also said to me on a prior occasion, there are other issues in our various communities that need to be covered. Mahlatsik, share some of your thoughts on, on that, if you would. For overall, I think the media is doing a very important job of reporting on this virus. Obviously, uh, it is one where we are learning on the go. But overall, we've seen quite accurate uh, coverage of the pandemic, given the fact that even the scientists are also learning as we go along. But I think the media has done a fantastic job of keeping uh, society informed, especially at a time when people are stuck at home, can't move around, are desperate for information and factual information for that matter. Um, are we finding a balance? In South African media, currently, uh, all focus is on corona. And I think, though, there is balance in the sense that we are covering the economic impact of coronavirus. We are covering the impact on ordinary people. Right now, the focus is on the fact that ordinary people are facing starvation and many could die if they don't get food uh, and not necessarily die of the virus itself. Uh, we are finding balance in exposing corruption where it's uh, where it, it rears its ugly head. Uh, we've had uh, local officials finding themselves uh, with their hands in the cookie jar or simply shortchanging um, uh, ordinary people, and that has been exposed. So I think there's balance in that. But are we covering other issues? Very little of the other issues are we covering uh, because all focus is uh, hands on dig on coronavirus. But I'm expecting that as we get used to the disease and it becomes part and parcel of our lives, we will go back to the other aspects of society. 
Thanks for that. I, I just wonder, maybe, Peter, you can jump in here. You've also had experience of Zimbabwe, and obviously here in Namibia, you check the media every day. What do you think in terms of coverage in those two countries? Are, are, are we getting it right? At the moment, most people have mainly the, the coronavirus pandemic on their minds. And, and especially with the lockdown in pretty much all Southern African countries, that is what, what people are struggling with. That is what people are thinking about. That is what people need information on. So it is very important to, to, to cover those bases. What, what I'm a little bit afraid of is that this will also drown out other issues. Like, for example, in Malawi, we have an election in pretty much a month's time. And it's not going to be an election only about coronavirus, but about a lot of other issues that matter to, to the Malawians. The issue is a little bit difficult, I think, to, to strike a balance in between reporting on, on the coronavirus and giving people other news as well. But of course, the coronavirus at the moment kind of influences everything. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of very good reporting there as well, where I think where we where we still as media could do better is to to develop more specific formats for for different target audiences. I'm not sure how the situation is in, in South Africa, but I'm, I'm thinking especially about youth formats. I'm thinking about um, media for kids because we have a lot of kids that at the moment find themselves in a very, very special situation, being stuck at home, not going to school, yes. not going to kindergarten. And and it's a it's a really complicated and complex topic, and it's not that easy to explain that to kids. Mm -hmm. So that's something where where media could also play a role in. Um, I think targeting more rural communities is also an issue. We have a lot of information that comes in Windhoek, for example, from the from the coordination centers here in Windhoek. But when it comes to more to, to smaller communities, there is not a lot of information that that is being circulated and and where people can get information on, on local issues. Um, and then, of course, the whole um, language issue, I think, in, in Namibia is, is difficult. Um, I've been in touch with the community radios here. Um, some of them are really struggling to keep operational during those times. So a lot of information is not out there in vernacular languages when it comes to radio beyond the, the national broadcaster. So I think there's still some parts that we can do. And I especially think that explaining the background is an important issue that we that we need to, to look into more. Yeah, because one of the issues is, of course, that um, Mahlatze also touched on that. The fact is that, you know, this is a, a new thing for everybody, this corona, coronavirus. You know, we talk about even the scientists don't know how it started and how it spread, uh, really, in many cases. So... In terms of the media, it's also very difficult because we were expected to be scientists in a way as well. And then, of course, set against the background of the media's coverage, whether good or bad, is the fact that, um, as some people note, our power, that is in traditional media, seems to have waned to a certain extent. And we've left a bit of a vacuum out there, which is then obviously filled by social media. And that, in turn, incentivizes disinformation. What do you both, let's start with Maklatse, do you think about is the traditional media doing enough to debunk disinformation because it seems to be so prolific out there, especially at a time like this? I think 
it's a difficult one for traditional media to debunk all of the myths that are out there. Uh, this virus, unfortunately, finds us at a time when uh, newsrooms have shrunk, I think, the whole continent over. We are also dealing with um, uh, so much, much smaller newsrooms. And then a lot of newsrooms have also become quite junior. But I think the rate of the misinformation or disinformation is so high that traditional media can't simply cope between debunking those uh, uh, fake stories and actually doing the actual news story and finding that balance is where the trick is. I mean, right now what we are finding is that uh, our own family members are peddling the misinformation or the, the fake news in the WhatsApp groups. So it's not necessarily happening on the Facebook and Twitter, but it's actually what is happening in very personal and direct spaces, which are family WhatsApp groups, friendship WhatsApp groups. And that is where that news is actually being peddled. And it is just simply not possible. Yes, we've had an increase in the number of um, fact checkers on the continent, but by no means are those enough. Uh, and uh, the rate and the pace of it is not adequate. And hence, we've seen these drastic actions where there's attempt to um, ensure that those that are peddling fake news are actually prosecuted. Um, and that's part of the measures. But, but I'm just giving an example with myself. Uh, if I were to spend all of my time responding to the family WhatsApp group saying this is fake, this is fake, I would never have time to do my actual job. And you can just imagine in those groups how quickly that information actually moves around. The only thing we can do is continue to say, if it's not being covered by traditional media, it's probably not true. We need to make sure that as traditional media, the, the, the public trusts us enough to say, if I'm seeing something in my family WhatsApp group, let me go to the traditional media to verify if it has happened. There's a saying in, in Britain where they used to joke that, you know, Sky News breaks the news and uh, BBC and people go to the BBC to confirm if it really happened. And we need to play that role where people come to us at traditional media to see if these things really, truly happened. It comes a little bit back to, for professional journalism, back to the basics. If, if professional journalism provides reliable, understandable information on the pandemic, um, gives the context, uh, does a balanced reporting and, and moderates a dialogue around those things so that people can get orientation, so that people have the information they need to take decisions for, for their daily lives. And those sometimes are the easy basic decisions like, shall I go out or not? How do I behave myself in public? Shall I wear a mask or not? If, if professional journalism provides that information, then they kind of take away a lot of the, of the ground on which misinformation grows. Those, those messages, they come out of a situation where you have a lot of uncertainty around what is actually happening a lot of communication around the thing, but it's not always clear and understandable. So if we really, as, as professional journalists, put our, our energy together to provide that orientation, to explain the things properly, take the time to do that, then we take away a lot of the, the need of people to get that orientation or that uh, wonderful cure 
um, that I have in my in my kitchen cupboard. And then I think the other part is is cooperating with with fact checkers and giving the fact checkers a voice so that um, they can do their job in terms of of debunking all those manipulative stories. And that can happen through through corporations, or that can happen through telling people if you encounter a story on on WhatsApp and you're not sure if it's if it's true. Don't forward it. And if you want to check it, here's the fact checker website. And they they do an amazing job in terms of, of verifying a lot of those stories. I think it's also a little bit about educating people on, on healthy media usage. Um, because, of course, people being at home use a lot of WhatsApp and and share a lot of things. And maybe our professional role is is it also to to explain what's happening there and to to raise awareness not only for, for the hygiene things in real life, like washing your hands, but also on social media. Okay, but the other thing, so, uh, Peter, also just briefly, uh, I'll address this to you. Um, there's the issue, of course, of all this. I don't like the term fake news. I call it lies or disinformation. But the problem that we have with that has led our various governments, especially in the subcontinent, to criminalize this issue. And uh, in other words, if a journalist publishes something that they honestly think is true, but it turns out to be false, they can be fined and or prosecutes, prosecuted. In South Africa, it seems to be slightly better in that they have to prove the intent to deceive around the perpetuation or the spread of fake news. So to what extent is this uh, providing a bit of a chilling effect on, on journalism? and especially investigative journalism at this point. And and you raise quite an important one because we, when we also first heard of criminalizing uh, fake news, we were one, wa worried about what does that mean for media freedom? And we know that there are those in power and in authority across the continent who would love to have an opportunity to silence the media because of the critical reporting and exposing some of the weaknesses of those in power. And um, in South Africa, you are right, there has to be uh, intent, but we have also made it quite clear that um, the, the, the self-regulation processes that have been in place do, then, do not then disappear okay. uh, because of these new, new regulations that are in place. We still maintain that we've got the Broadcasting Complaints Commission, we've got the Press Council, and those uh, are still in standing. And we have, uh, in, on our side, the conversation has been, when we do get things wrong, it is important that we act quite urgently to address it because of the implications it then has. Because uh, we have then said to our member countries, let's make sure that we, A, get the stories to make sure that they're factual, but B, if we are found in a situation where there were editorial gaps, those get uh, remedied as early as possible. But we have to worry that there will be those who want to exploit COVID-19 to silence the media, and we have to continuously push back uh, in that regard. But we also know, using the American example, that when the American president is challenged and is finding himself unable to, to, to answer and does not want to be held accountable, they loosely, he loosely throws this phrase around fake news and declaring journalists as fake news. And we as on the continent, we should be wary and cautious and expect that we will get those uh, Trumpism, if I may call it, uh, on our shores. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, there's no question that the three of us will definitely agree that the role of journalism is really to disseminate reliable and high quality information at such a critical time in particular. 
But the issue is that often what we're dealing with here around COVID-19 or coronavirus needs a lot of explaining, doesn't it? Because it does require some sort of scientific knowledge. For example, we might say people need to wear, wear, wear masks. But on the other hand, there is a, a heated debate around that as to whether, in fact, masks help or don't help at all. So again, maybe sometimes, Peter, perhaps this for you, does the media resort to kind of headline news about figures and numbers looking at so many dead and so many cases, but there's very little con context that's being drawn around that. Um, what do you think? Could we do more in that regard to really bring home to people how dangerous this pandemic really is? I mean, we have a lot of, of data journalism projects at the moment, visualizing case numbers and reproduction rates. And it, what, from my point of view, would be good would to also put that data into context, because there's a lot of uncertainty around that data regarding testing, regarding uh, reporting mechanisms. We need to make understandable to the audience what the actual factual ground is that we're standing up on and what we're reporting about. Exactly. And if we do that, I think then we are on the one hand, also a lot better positioned in the whole discussion around around the regulations on, on misinformation, because then we're transparent. And on the other hand, it also helps with the trust of the audiences, because we're not pretending we know the solution. We are being transparent about what we know, what we don't know, and what the discussion results around. And that brings me back to what you also said. We need to do a lot more explaining, because yeah. from, from my point of view, what, what we could do more is especially when we're approaching things like opening up of, of lockdowns and what the regulations will then be. I think it's it's important for citizens to have a voice in that, to um, also give government orientation in terms of where they're suffering, what their problems are, and that is different in different communities in, 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 in Southern Africa. And it means that people also need to understand what the challenges are, and then they can they can voice their concerns and they can also suggest solutions. Um, and that is a, a crucial part of information that I think is also important for government to decide on how we are going forward as societies in Southern Africa. Exactly. And also, uh, just to mention uh, with regard Matlatse here, I mean, I guess at the bottom of everything is the issue as to whether our coverage is making a difference in people's lives. For example, is it really getting across the message of the importance of physical distancing, hand washing, hygiene, etc.? That's critical. I mean, that much we do know is important in, in curbing this pandemic. Listen to Free Speak and give us your comments on the NMT's social media feeds. But Maklatsi, you wrote a letter to journalists um, as chair of the SANEF. Um, and uh, I think your letter was headed something like a letter to journalists in the time of coronavirus, and you called it the story of our lifetime. Um, and you emphasized in that letter that it required bravery on the part of journalists right now, and emphasized as well the importance of ensuring that the news is credible and that we and ourselves are bulwarks against disinformation using this opportunity to rebuild our relationship with the public, which has been on the decline. Would you like to address why you felt it was important to write this letter at this time? Um, it was basically just from uh, just interacting with my own newsroom. 
and the nervousness of our own journalists and listening to them mm-hmm. uh, as we were about to face this uh, this disease. And obviously seeing the numbers in the Western world and worried about the impact if we're seeing what is happening in developed countries where systems are stronger, if it were to hit Africa and South Africa in particular, where would that leave us? And obviously, because we didn't know as much scientifically about the disease, that worry was there. And for me, I felt that it it, it, it created an, an opportunity that we simply cannot miss uh, as a South African media. Uh, we know that the trust relationship has been declining and it's not because of own goals uh, scored by the media, but there has been a persistent and well-funded campaign to delegitimize traditional media, especially by those who were uh, making front pages of newspapers and headlines of radio and television for corruption. Uh, if you remember, South Africa had an incident with Bell Pottinger, which was a PR agency in, in Britain, where they had partnered with a South African, uh, with a family that was uh, accused of state capture, and they were basically uh, influencing the narrative and uh, labeling the media and trying to silence it. So that had actually contributed. And then, yes, there were own goals that were scored by the media where we've had to do massive apologies and retract on some of the bigger stories uh, that were actually uh, reported. Oh. And from where we're sitting, uh, where South Africans were desperate for news and are stuck in their homes and don't necessarily um, have all of the answers, the media was then expected to play that critical role of keeping them informed. And obviously also in the face of fake news that is being peddled, people were going to look to us to basically know what is true and what is not. And the South African media beyond the news media uh, uh, organizations had re- has really come to the party where they are running uh, their own educational campaigns, where talk shows have turned into, you know, they've got experts on air and audiences are able to phone in and ask questions. Uh, They've basically allowed the public in some of those radio formats to actually inform conversations that are supposed to be happening. We are seeing an unprecedented move where music stations that are usually very far from, you know, the news and, and the political developments, basically sacrificing their hours to carry live uh, when the president addresses the nation or the minister of health addresses the nation. And I really think that they've come to the party and I'm hoping that, you know, we are now uh, providing a service for ordinary South Africans where they are seeing why we matter and why we are important. And that is important because, you know, in the face of what we are facing, because I think another conversation is the impact, the economic impact of on media, uh, on media houses, and that's Absolutely. a topic for another day. Absolutely. But at least we're beginning to see our value and why we matter in their lives. And when we say media freedom is your freedom, uh, they are finally able to make that connection. And I think South African media has stepped to the party and are responding adequately. Yes, there have been glaring mistakes which have been unfortunate, but overall, uh, we are they are taking seriously their role and why they're actually existing. Well, that's very encouraging because I find myself also being heartened when I hear that the uh, Ethical Journalism Network um, uh, says that in the UK, for example, more and more during the course of this pandemic, the public, they are turning to trusted journalists for information. And they're saying that, for example, TV news is up by 92% viewership 
uh, over the same period last year. So I think that gives us, hopefully, a cause for encouragement that there can be uh, a move back to the public, away from the social media and clickbait, back to good and solid journalism. But let me come to this quote which I saw somewhere, which is, coverage, that is news coverage, walks a fine line between scaremongering and complacency, facts and uncertainty, science and politics. Peter, any comments about that? Yeah, I think the the, the big challenge here is as well that a lot of the reporting that, that journalists have to do at the moment is covering, for example, presidential speeches, um, government information on uh, lockdown regulations, etc. And it's good to cover those. But at the same time, it also means that you have to find a balance as well to how do you counter that with a critical analysis of the policies? How do you give people the background to understand how decisions are made, why they're made the way they are made, etc.? Which brings me back again that I think uh, the most important thing that we that we can do as journalists at the moment is explain, 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 so that people can understand what's happening, can understand why policy decisions are, are taken and how they are taken, and then can make up their own mind and contribute with their ideas and their perspective. Because it is a challenge to the whole society, and the only defense we have at the moment is a, is a change of behavior of pretty much all the people. And that is not going to happen um, through fear, through regulation, or through anything else. It's going to happen because people understand that it is necessary and, and why it is necessary, and then people will change their behavior. Mm. Um, and it, it doesn't really help that you can't see coronavirus. I think that all the time. It's, it's so difficult to explain that um, complex thing that you can't see. If, there, if, if, if the coronavirus would walk around in the street, it would be so much easier to yeah. explain people why they should keep their distance, why they should stay at home. But it means that we have to, to really put our best creativity also to it to explain the why and the mechanisms and how the whole thing works. I just yeah. wanted to add something there, which is quite a uh, thing, because we went through a phase where, as South African media, we were not happy with how um, the issue of corona was being handled, and we did quite a strong pushback, because what we were finding was that, you know, there seemed to be, um, should I say, an instruction that was sent out to say only the Minister of Health yes could actually speak on the matter and the health professionals couldn't speak. And we pushed back on it because we were finding that that is trying to muzzle uh, democracy and trying to muzzle other voices because at this time, it's even more important to have critical voices or other voices independent of politicians. Yes, in our case, the minister is also a medical doctor, but we felt he was a, uh, a, a politician Correct. nonetheless. And we needed to hear from scientists and uh, to be able to connect with the public. And we pushed uh, quite strongly in that. And we have seen a change where last week we had quite a dramatic press conference where we had the, uh, the scientists basically taking the nation through uh, slides and explaining to them wow. what they're expecting to be the, traje the tra trajectory of this disease. And Peter is raising an important issue around 
it doesn't mean because we need society to listen to government and respect the regulations that we then stop being critical and uh, uh, analytical of what government is doing. It's even more important that we continue playing that role as, as, as journalists across the continent. We have to have to have to question whatever decision, even if the broader public or the broader science uh, community agrees with the government, fine, let's put that on, but we still need to go to other independent sources to say, this is what the government has announced. Is this correct? Do you agree? That multiplicity of voices is quite critical. We don't always have to go to the politicians for the numbers. They have to give us access to even those that are advising them so that we can hear the scientific uh, aspects of it and then critique it. And that's a very important issue you've just raised, also, uh, Maklatse, because in a sense, um, the, the dangers of centralizing information has, has become a problem here in Namibia as well. And it seems that government simply wants to control all the access uh, to information. And we, at the moment, have a situation where private press, for example, or the independent press have been excluded from presidential press conferences on the grounds that there are too many media uh, to observe physical distancing, but that means that only government media are present. So the battles we, we will continue to fight, I think all of us in the subcontinent, around that access and the importance of independence, independent journalism so much at this time. Peter, you wanted to add. I'm, I'm particularly worried at the moment about Zimbabwe, where we've seen several arrests of newspaper vendors, several arrests of, of reporters as well. Uh, Mises Zimbabwe has very bravely fought with the Zimbabwe lawyers for human rights to have a Supreme Court ruling now that the police can't arrest journalists anymore, but it, especially when it comes to covering also police brutality and such is issues that... Um, the security forces can also use lockdown regulations to Absolutely. to curb reporting. That is 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 one thing that worries me. The other thing is the the fact that some of the regulations is not very clear and could be misused. And the the other part that as media we also have to look at is understandably during the coronavirus outbreak, um, some freedoms are limited. Um, freedom of assembly is is the most obvious one, um, and that means that uh, demonstrations are, are, for example, quite difficult to do at the moment. And I think civil society and media have to be very vigilant that those restrictions on fundamental freedoms will not be permanent on the one hand, and also that freedoms will not be restricted beyond what is appropriate and necessary. Exactly. It is a basic right that citizens have to, to protest and to demonstrate, um, and that can't just be taken away. So we have to be very vigilant about Exactly, this. and we have to be very sensitive, too, to the fact that uh, the, these are very hard times for a majority of our people in the subcontinent who've also lost economic opportunities at the same time they face this horrible pandemic. So, again, it calls for a sympathetic view of the media towards our public and also to guard against heavy-handedness of governments in, at this particular time. In Namibia's case, our state of emergency is for six months. Our lockdown has only uh, got another week and a half, two weeks to go. So the question is that you raise, Peter and Makhlatse, as well, are governments, to what extent are they going to continue um, uh, do, with these restrictions even after lockdown has been lifted? I'm going to ask you both to just wind up with your last thoughts on the media, how we're doing during this pandemic, 
and how to take it from here. Maklatse, last thoughts. My thoughts is that um, as the media and the continent, our role is more critical than ever. Uh, we have to make sure that uh, all our editorial systems are in check. Um, this is such an uncertain time that we have to be uh, to have to ensure that all of our editorial checks and balances are in place because of the power we hold and the dependence that we are seeing that the audience are looking to us for answers and real answers. So let's continue working hard. Let's ensure that media houses are protecting journalists and giving them the necessary equipment to uh, reduce risk as far as possible. But I yep. strength to all of my colleagues. Thank you very much, Maklatse, and good luck to you in South Africa and also SANEF, which I know is keeping a good eagle eye over what's happening in the media there. Peter, last last thoughts from you. My thought at the moment is I think what Maklatse said is, is very right. We have a big chance here to rebuild trust of the people in into the media. If we get it right and if we do our jobs uh, very well and very properly, on the outlook, however, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid that trust and that good work will not necessarily translate into the viability of, of media. And that will result in a huge hit into media diversity because especially small media outlets will suffer from the economic consequences of the pandemic. I think we'll see a lot of, of journalists, which I consider at the moment uh, frontline workers. And I hope, really hope that we... Also, don't don't see see too many of our colleagues that that will suffer from from COVID nineteen, but we'll see huge job losses. I'm sure that uh, advertising markets etc. will take a huge hit. We are already seeing with small community media that people are not uh, are not able to support them anymore because they don't get advertisement and the communities don't don't have any money. Subscriptions, because people are suffering economically, will also go down. So I, I really hope that that trust also translates into, into a good relationships with our audiences and in the long run also in, in increased viability. But I am actually a little bit worried about viability of, of media diversity. In the yeah, I agree with you, Peter, but at the same time, I don't want to let you end this on a very uh, a hopeless note. I can also offer a, a more positive thought. Yeah, <laughs> Something we have not touched on is the immense creativity that we're also seeing with a lot of people being creative and creating new formats and new ways of explaining the whole situation. Like we're doing and, today. <laughs> um, like we're doing today. Um, but we're, we're seeing a lot of, of podcasts I've seen Two, I'm not sure if they're winter-based or South African-based, but there's two YouTubers that uh, took the time to record. They're, they're both apparently medical professionals to explain, flatten the curve and all those things. And I think that is really great that people and, and media professionals really um, use their creativity to provide reliable, understandable, good information to the people, because that is what, what we really need at the moment. We need everyone to understand what this is about, and we need everyone to get reliable information so they can take good decisions. Because if we have informed communities on this situation, we will have healthy communities. I hope so, and that the creativity, innovation, and, and adherence to ethics will get us out of the doldrums. We all hope so. Thank you, guys, such a lot.